Welcome, everybody, to church. Yeah. I'm going to make sure you're all awake. I'm not trying to make anything. It's like, you ever go and like you just go, all right, well, we did that, I guess. And then there's these weeks where we feel like, like we're in the presence of God. That's the point, right? I'll say it till I'm not here anymore. You come here to meet with God. And if we don't meet with God, what's the point? We're here to meet with him and to be changed by him, to be challenged and encouraged by him. And that is my prayer for you every Sunday morning, that when you come here, you are confronted by his spirit in a way that will change your life. The truth is, is that you're not coming to sing some songs that you know and to hear from a preacher that doesn't know what he's doing. You come to hear from God himself, from his word, so that your lives will be changed, so that you'll look more like Jesus. I actually am coming for the same reason, to meet with him and to be changed by his word. And so we're gonna dive in together. We started the book of James last week. And remember, we are not undertaking the book of James in five Sundays. That would be ludicrous and impossible and irresponsible of me. Because James in five Sundays isn't enough time to cover all the things. So what I'm asking you to do is, come on Sunday, we're gonna get through each chapter, the main things, and I want you to be studying and reading it every other day of the week too. Take your time, ask some questions, write down your thoughts as you are walking through the, the book of James in five weeks. That is a little bit better, doesn't it sound like? So that's what we're undertaking to do. Last week, Ryan started us off talking about how perseverance and endurance are developed by not just listening to the word, but doing the word, doing what it says. And we're gonna continue that today. We'll be in James chapter two. I wanna ask a couple of people. In the spirit of participation, which you know I love, I need somebody to look up Matthew chapter five, verses 46 to 48. Stick your finger there. And somebody else to look up Matthew 7, verses 21 to 27. Stick your finger there. If you don't like to have a microphone in your face and read, don't do it. But I do need just two people. How many of you guys like looking in the mirror? Teenagers? Let's talk about it for a second. We don't like looking in the mirror, do we? I remember uh, I was going to go to the gym. I was in like freshman year. And I went to bed one night and my face looked fine. And I woke up the next day to go to the gym and I had all this red junk on my face. I'm like, what happened? I mean, I had like, I had zits everywhere. It was terrible. I hated the way I looked, right? We, teenagers are tough. High school's hard, you know? Some of us like the mirror too much. You know who you are. When you walk by that window, that real reflective window, like all windows, you see the store coming up and you're excited. You cross the street, you're like, oh dang, look at all those windows. And you walk and you pretend like you're not looking, but then you look and you're like, oh, hello. Hey. See, look in the mirror, though. When we start looking into the mirror in our face, we don't like, look what I see. The older you get, you don't look like, ugh. You start taking the mirrors out of your house, covering up with, like, scriptures so you don't have to see yourself. <laughs> hey, listen, when y'all get older, you laugh, but listen. Somebody's gonna come to your house one day and be like, oh, they're so spiritual. They're not spiritual. They don't wanna look at themselves in the mirror. They got scripture on post-it notes covering the whole thing. Just enough to make sure their hairs did right. When we look in the mirror spiritually, it's even worse. I hate looking in the spirit, in, into the spiritual mirror of my, my faith because it reveals some things that I don't like to see. 
Have you ever looked in, have you ever taken a glance into your spiritual life, into your faith and what it really is? And you kind of take a look into it because that's what the scriptures are, right? This is what this is. This is a mirror into our faith. When we read the scriptures, it reveals some things about us that we do like and some things that we don't like. Sometimes we look and we're like, we're walking by like, all right, we're looking okay. I got that down. There's other times where we, we're peeking through the sticky notes hoping that we don't find what we know is already there. We are spiritually unfed. We are missing a few things. We have some spiritual acne. That's a gross analogy. I apologize. That's going to stick with you a while. There are blemishes because our faith is not made complete yet. And we heard about that, that it's meant to make us complete this life. This is why I love the book of James. You, you can look into it and, and very clearly see some things. Right? It's like you're looking into this mirror of your soul and you see Jesus and the way you're supposed to look. And James just says, here, you look at yourself now. And you're like, ooh. It's things like, today we talk about favoritism, caring for people who are needy, and whether our faith is made complete by what we do or not. Let's ask some hypotheticals. How do you feel when you see someone who is homeless? Just think about it. Don't gloss over the question. Because in, in your immediate, it's like, oh, yeah, we will care for them. How do you feel when you see somebody who's homeless? Somebody who is so needy and has so much less than you and who's almost incapable of getting out of the hole themselves, how does it make you feel when you pass by them? Have you been so close that you can smell them? Do you even put yourself in that part of town at all? How do you interact with people who you know can't give you anything back? Not just homeless, but people in general who can't give you anything in return. Hypotheticals. I'm not saying this is you. Clearly, I'm just asking the questions. Do you find yourself always keeping score? Well, if I do this, they'll do this. And if they do this for me, I'm gonna definitely have to do this back for them because we always have to get back what we put in. Are your eyes even open to the needs of others? And again, I'm not accusing, I'm just asking. How do you act when you see somebody of prominence? How do you feel then? If you rub shoulders with, uh, got to go to that one club, not like the oons, oons club, but like the social club that everybody, you get the high-end steak. Today's raw, ladies and gentlemen. This is real family life today. How do you feel then? Do you notice a difference in how you treat people of prominence and people of need? How do you treat people who can't give you anything in return? Do you find that you show preference to one or the other? Today, we're gonna to look at something that's not comfortable. I don't like it any more than you do. But because it is God's intention to make us more like Jesus and not more like the most popular person in the room, we're gonna do the hard work of looking into this spiritual mirror and figuring out what adjustments we need to make so that we can live a life of obedience. 
This book of James, if you look in the Greek, his name is actually Jacobos. It's, it's actually translated more closely to Jacob is his name. In the, in the Bible, it's James. The less he's referred to a lot of different things, but a lot of scholars, ancient and modern, uh, put his name as Jacob. That should not shake your faith or make you think it's not true. It's just, I'm just telling you what the Greek says. He rose to prominence in the Jerusalem church after Peter left. He was a pillar of the church in Jerusalem, James was. And his book is not written like Paul's letters to the church. Paul, he addressed specific issues at a specific church, but James wrote his book to be a, a, book, a letter of wisdom for all believers, people who are followers of Jesus, to look more like Jesus, to answer this question. If the main thing is to love God and love others, how do we do that clearly? That's what he goes. There's 12 bits of wisdom from chapters two to five, which is where we start today. And he's got these great one-liners. He was heavily influenced by the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll see a couple of you have your fingers in the pages there. The Sermon on the Mount and the book of Proverbs. And you'll notice, you see this. It's, it, it sounds like a book of wisdom. There's heavily, heavy influence there. It's important that we understand that as we go on. Also, James is a half-brother of Jesus. Same mom, different dad. That landed way worse than I thought it was gone. That was a good one. I, I figured that was a great pastor joke. That was bad. You get it? Same mom, different, okay. I just didn't know if you needed some explanation. It's early. I mean, it's 9.30. And the main theme of James, as you know, is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Let's dive in as we take this spiritual look into uh, this mirror here. I'm not gonna read every single verse, but I'm gonna hit you the main points and then we'll talk about it, okay? Because again, you're gonna go and dive deep uh, through this week. He finishes the chapter one by saying, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion, in fact, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And he goes, the next verse to say this, my brothers, as believers, as believers, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. It may seem that this book, this chapter rather, is split up into two sections, but they're combined. They're actually, they go, they go together. As believers, as it, when I was an atheist, the thing that frustrated me the most, there was a lot of people like, oh, I believe in God. My question was always like, which one? Which one? Right? Everybody believes in something, even atheists. I believed in myself, mostly. <laughs> my ability to control and manage my own life. I was my God, little g. But he's saying as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, because what and who you believe in matters to how you live your life. As an atheist, I believed in myself, so I lived my life a certain way. It was great. It was all about me. I could do what I want, when I wanted, how I want. I could treat you how I wanted because it doesn't matter, right? I'm the standard. But he says, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and then he just punches us right in the face. Don't show favoritism. There is zero room for interpretation there. 
Zero room for interpretation. As believers in Jesus Christ, not in any other God, small God, dead, not alive gods, but in as believers in the very alive, risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for those who will believe and follow, don't show favoritism. Period. Not don't show favoritism when it's easy and convenient, Not don't show favoritism when other people are looking and making sure that you're doing what you're supposed to, but when nobody else is looking, when you can do whatever you want, don't show preference to people who can't give you anything in return or vice versa. And then he goes and gives us this illustration. It's a great illustration. He says, suppose one of you, you're meeting together and suppose somebody is poor and in shabby clothes. And a rich man also comes in, right? So you have one man of prominence that comes in. He's got the fly clothes. He's got nice shoes. He smells good. You can tell he's got his stuff together, at least on the outside. Oh, hello, Mr. Jones. Nice to have you again. Glad you're here. Please come have a seat. He says, but also at the same time in this other door, a poor man who has nothing to offer comes in in shabby clothes. He smells bad. You know he probably got drunk the night before and he comes into the room. How do you treat that man? Do you treat him this? Oh, hello, Mr. Smith. I'm so glad that you're here. I would love for you to come. We have a wonderful seat right down on the front row for you. Is that how we do it? But he says, if you give this man of prominence a perfect seat in the house, but you put the, sh- the guy who is in shabby clothes in the back corner or on the ground at your feet. He says, you're screwing it up. He says, you're not doing it right. He says, you're incriminating yourselves. You're breaking the law. Love God, love others. There's no stipulations to that. If you can love people who love you back, it says in the scriptures, It's not doing you any good. That's not the kind of love that God is calling us to, he says. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And he goes on and he says in, excuse me, in verse five, he says, listen, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Who has Matthew 5, 46 to 48? Quickly. Who's got it? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Perfect. Uh, Let me see, gotta find it. (laughs) If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not a lot of room for interpretation, huh? Look, even those who believe only in themselves love people who will love them back. The pagans do that. Don't show favoritism. I could, I could talk, we could have a whole like series just on this part of the scriptures, but I don't have that much time. He goes on to says this. Some other key verses that you can look at are verse uh, eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you break even one law, if you say, well, I don't murder, I don't steal, but you lie, you break all of the law, he says. You don't get to pick and choose which part of obedience matters. 
Don't just hear the word, do what it says. And then he goes on, verse 14, we're gonna camp here very briefly. I don't wanna shortchange uh, being able to care for our seniors. He says this, after he says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, he says this, what good is it, my brothers, verse 14, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save him? How many of you believe in God? Raise your hand. That wasn't a trick question. I'm glad. That's wonderful. My question to you is, which one? If we just believe, but we don't have a life that reflects that we believe in the God of the Bible, what kind of faith is it? If you say, I believe in God, yet you only care for yourself, what kind of faith is it? And then he gives this story. I love James because he illustrates what he says. He says, look, so let's say somebody comes to your house and they're in need. And then you give them one of these classic, hey, hey, I'll pray for you. It's all good. I'll pray for you. Can we pray right now? Let's pray, Lord. But you don't care for their actual physical needs. You're missing it. Being super spiritual, saying that you're going to pray for somebody is not the same as taking care of their needs. Lord, just, I pray somebody to provide their needs. Lord, I know they're right in front of me, but I've got to get to the grocery store for my groceries that I'm going to drive up and have somebody deliver into my car. But Lord, would you please care for this person's needs? It's actually ridiculous. Can such a faith save him, he says. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Listen, you believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that. And shudder. Listen, the demons and the angels that were swept out of heaven believe in God more than you and me but they are living in rebellion to him. If we believe that God not only exists, but he's the one who made us, He is the one who saved us, he's the one who redeemed us and gave us a hope and a future, and yet we live like he is dead, do you have faith that saves? You say, well, John, that sounds like, that sounds like works. That sounds like we can earn ourselves. We just need to do some things to earn our salvation. Let me tell you, that's not what it says. Ephesians chapter two says it like this, like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath, but he, because of his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, period. Faith in God, faith in the cross and the work of Jesus Christ, surrender and submission to that alone. You can't earn your place with God. You don't have enough to give to pay for the cost of your sin and mine, period, okay? But that faith, it fuels 
the good works that God has for you. It says at the very end, it says for you, it says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do because of our faith in the living God who saved us, who saved us from forever separation from him. Because of that, it fuels this wonderful life of works and loving other people and caring for them more than we care for ourselves and doing all the things that James is talking about, not showing favoritism. Why would you not show favoritism? Because he didn't play favorites with you and me. He died for you the same way he died for Hitler. That's a real thing, y'all. The cross was for Hitler. Now, he didn't accept and receive that grace, but it was also for him. Think about the worst person that's ever harmed you or hurt you in your life. The cross was for that person too. He did not play favorites. That's why we don't play favorites. (sighs) Immature people talk about their beliefs, but the mature person lives their faith. Hearing God's word and talking about God's word can never substitute for doing God's word. And the way that we believe or we behave towards people indicates what we really believe about God. So I raise the question to you again. Which God do you believe in? Because if we believe that we were poor in spirit and incapable of earning salvation, we would act a certain way towards others. If we believe in the God who came down from heaven and provided a perfect sacrifice for me, when all I was doing was cursing God, literally, not figuratively, cursing God and persecuting the church, because he saved me too, I act a different way. I should behave a different way towards people, not just my family in the church, which, by the way, behaves badly more often than not towards one another especially in this day and age. That's not an indictment on you. This is just a reality that we live in. Which God do you believe in when you press send on your social media attack page? When we're beating each other up verbally for the whole world, and I know I talk about this a lot, and I told you before I'll stop talking about it when it stops happening. When we verbally abuse one another online for the whole world to see because what? We forgot that we believe in the living God they gave you something you don't deserve. And he gave me something that I don't deserve. So it means that when Jason slights me or he says something, I should look and go, gosh, I love that guy. I know he hates my guts, but you know what? God loved me when I hated him, so I have to love him. And because I was poorer than the poor man who may walk in here one day, I should be able to look at him and love him and care for him the same way that God looked at me and cared for me when I was in shabby clothes, not able to offer anything to him for his kingdom. I wonder what would happen if we as a church understood this, that because we believe in the living God, we should behave and care for people the same across the board. And we should do so to honor and glorify him and to build his kingdom. Here's my challenge. I'm not just gonna tell you to go do it because that's not how it works. Sorry for the second person. I ran out of time. Examine your life. Examine your life. Look in the mirror every single day and say, God, this is what I see. Is this the way Jesus is? Or do I need to make an adjustment? 
to keep the gross analogy going. Do I need to make an adjustment so that I might reflect the God that I believe in in a greater way? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this word and as we dive into it deeper this week, that you would reveal your will to us, that you would show us how, Lord, we can reflect our faith in you by how we behave towards others. May it be revealed that Jesus Christ, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ who saved us, might be what we reflect to the world. We're gonna take a moment to... um, Spend time in prayer. I'm gonna ask those who are part of our prayer team to please make your way forward. I'm gonna ask everybody else to stand to your feet. And as we do this, I would ask that you would please take the opportunity to come and receive prayer, to be prayed over, to be prayed with if you need. And that as we sing in worship, before we do the senior recognition here, that we would leave space for God to help us respond to his word today. Let's sing together.